And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Carry on all the wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 38 of Lupa's Bits, the podcast. I am your host, Lupa Barty, aka Stephanie J. Barty, the fantastic author. You know, I have to throw that in. If you read the newsletter, um, or you read, not the newsletter, but if you read my intro on the magazine, you'll notice my, I am the editor of whatever tends to change. So I'm trying to spice up my podcast a little bit. By changing, you know, what I am, whatever of, at the beginning. Here we are, episode 38. I remember I said last week that I was hoping to podcast this week from the new apartment. And as you can tell, there is not a major echo or hollow sound or, you know, the sounds of traffic going by and life outside my window because I'm still in the trailer. Things are moving slowly, which is fine. I'm not complaining because I'm not one to move in an overly fast <laughs> mode. But all I have over at uh, the apartment right now is, as of today, I have a bed. And I have a little trolley cart for my kitchen. And I have a two, four, six shelf cabinet shelving. It doesn't have doors on it or anything. It's only like three feet tall unit in... My hallway for, it's got three, I put, I love the dollar store, I have to say. I love the dollar store for interior decorating. <laughs> I have these gray felt baskets with really nice silver handles, and I only bought three of them. There's six cubbies, but I only bought three, so it's kind of staggered. There's one, and then one, and then one. And I'm going to use the cubbies for like flip-flops and sandals and those little thin runners and hats and mittens and scarves and earmuffs and all of that kind of stuff. And then the other cubbies will be for shoes. And then I have a little shoe rack here at the trailer that I'm going to put beside it that'll have my boots and stuff like that on it. And I bought some, I have a stainless steel shelving unit, nice and shiny too, that I bought for the bathroom. And I was just, like I had little black plastic containers, trays that I was just putting all my toiletries on. Now, when you first come in my apartment, the very first thing that you see is the bathroom. It's like right there. There is not even like wall space between the door frame for the bathroom and the door frame for the door. It's there. The two meet in the corner. <laughs> so I thought, mm, I'm not sure if I want people walking in and seeing, you know, my poor reduction face cream and, and all my anti-aging face stuff and personal feminine products because there's no storage in the bathroom except for under the sink. All just kind of willy-nilly on the shelf. So I bought some, again, dollar store, metal containers with the handle and the little wood knobby things on them. And then a great big metal one for the top shelf for all the towels and everything that kind of looks like one of those metal wash basins or ice buckets like the oval shaped ones 
And it actually looks really cool because everything in there is chrome. The stand is chrome. The toilet brush holder is chrome. The toilet paper holder is chrome. The taps are chrome. So it it fits. Mind you, I am going to be throwing my... I'm not sure. I have a green one and I have a blue one. They're bath mats. And I bought them for the trailer. I bought one for the bathroom in case I spilled and, you know, water while I'm washing or whatever. And then one for the, by the door, when I come in with wet boots, it soaks up the snow. It doesn't get under the floor and mold and all of that stuff. One is a, a, a moss green, I'd say, owl. And the other one is just a flat blue square one. Depending on which one looks better with my bed, my new to me bedspread will dictate which one goes in the bathroom to step out of the shower onto. Now the bathroom is so small that you're either going to be sitting on the toilet with your feet on this carpet or stepping out of the shower with your feet on this carpet because it's all the same spot. And you're not going to be able to have it in front of the sink. And you won't be able to have two. You can't have one in front of the shower and one in front of the sink because there is not enough floor space for two. I could cut one in half, but then it would just look like crap. So that's about all that's at my apartment right now. And um, on the 5th, I will be getting a U-Haul truck which that is going to be an adventure for me because I'm paying for the truck. My license is going to be the one on the truck. I'm the one going to be on the U-Haul insurance. I have to drive the truck, which means I have to drive the truck down four highways, load it, drive it up two highways, load it, and then drive it back one highway. Now, the last leg of the journey is going to be the easiest because it's, it's an 80. So it's just a two lane, one lane going one way, one lane going the other way. Easy peasy. I'm done. Going down with an empty truck is going to be interesting because I have to go one, two, three, four highways. Not looking forward to that at all. And I'm going to be by myself. So yeah, it's going to be a little nerve wracking because I'm pretty sure my regular co-pilot that generally keeps me calm, cool, and collected when I'm going across said highways has to work that day. <laughs> I didn't check his schedule before I booked the track. That was a bad on my part. So yeah, I'm going to have to put on my big girl panties that day. Just do it. Curse and swear and, and grip my teeth and white knuckle the steering wheel and clench my butt and all those things that you do to make sure you have a safe ride and just do it. And it's funny because I, I don't know why I panic. I'm an excellent driver. I have had one accident in the multitude of years that I have been driving. I've been driving since I was 18 and I am... 49. So that is 31 years. Woo! Look at me doing math off the top of my head just like that. And it probably wasn't even right. But anyway, I have been driving for a long time. I have had one accident, no speeding tickets, one accident and one parking ticket. And the accident, I hit the gravel on the shoulder and it snapped the tie rod in the front of the car which caused me to lose my steering and momentum pulled me into the ditch and I smashed my face. Along with the entire front end of the car, I was airborne. It was a lot of fun. You know, I can say that now, 28 years later. And it was 28 years ago because my oldest boy, who is now 30, was two <laughs> when it happened. So that tells you how long ago my car accident was. 
My oldest boy was two. It was 28 years ago. I still get very, very nervous when I have to drive one particular highway. And it's not like it's not the 404, it's not the QEW, it's not the 400. I can do all of those, not the 407 or whatever one it is, the 404 or the 427, whatever. It's the 401. I hate the 401. And I don't know why. I don't know what it is about the 401 that triggers panic in me, but it does. As soon as I know I have to drive on the 401, it triggers that butterfly sweaty palm like just talking about it now and my palms are sweaty and I'm, I'm freaking out because I have to do this on Monday by myself <laughs> I can't even hand the keys to somebody and say here you drive because I'm gonna be by myself because I'm making the entire trip by myself I'm not taking anybody with me to help me load the truck because I'll have help at my sister's I'll have help at my ex's I don't need to and bring anybody else into anybody else's bubbles. I need to be the only common denominator between those bubbles. Anyway, um, it's, but I have to, like, I'm, I've got serious apprehension right now. Um, I'm getting what I call my gut feeling, and it's always, I get this really bad feeling, and it's kind of, you know when you're on a roller coaster, and you go up and up and up and up and up and up and up, and then you reach the pinnacle of the hill, and all of a sudden, the, the roller coaster drops and you're still kind of at the top of the hill. The roller coaster's not, but you are. And your stomach drops to catch up with the roller coaster. That that feeling that your stomach, that flip and that that <laughs> I've only met one other person in my life that actually understood what I was saying when I said this. So if you do not understand what I mean, that's okay. There's only one other person that I have come across in the world that actually understands this reference. That feeling in your butt, that tingle in your butt. And sometimes it'll be, you'll look at, like, you'll be watching this horror movie and they'll be doing something to the eyeball and it gives you that, that, that uh, tingly feeling in your butt. <laughs> that's what it feels like. And that's what happens when I drive on the 401. So if you happen to be on the 401 on Monday, say around... 10, 30, 11 o'clock, and you see a little 10-foot U-Haul going by, yeah, that'll be me. Stay out of my way. Unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but the U-Hauls, because they all, for some reason, come from Arizona. I don't know. Every U-Haul I have ever seen, the license plate says Arizona or Georgia. I've never seen a U-Haul in Canada with a Canadian license plate, ever. Ever. They all come from Arizona or Georgia. The one we just used the other day to help a friend move stuff was from Arizona. So it'll be interesting to see where the U-Haul's from. They have governors on them, so you can't go over 100. So I will be in the slow lane. There's, there's, I have no choice. I will be in the slow lane because I can't go over 100. And anybody who's driven on any Canadian highway at any point in time, especially the 401, there are three lanes and three speeds. There is the slow lane for those that do 100 to 105, maybe 110. Then there's the middle lane for those a little more adventurous, and they usually go between 110 and 120. Then there's the, I'm in a hurry, I left too late, get the hell out of my way, I'm driving a sports car, I have to compensate for things lane, where people usually drive 130 plus. I've been in that lane and switching to glide by the kings of come on, and the next thing I know, 
my little car is doing 145. And I kind of go, oh, I need to get into the middle lane and change the song. Because <laughs> there are certain songs that will make you drive like a speed demon. All of a sudden, you're Mario Andretti and you're driving down an open road with nobody in front of you. And you're just pedal to the metal and off you go. So, yeah, I have that kind of apprehension. And I don't know why the 401 triggers me like that. I think it's because, I don't know, I don't know. I've done a lot of trips on the 401. Everywhere you want to go in Ontario, you pretty much have to go on the 401. The 401 leads to the border. The 401 leads to anywhere you want to go in Ontario. The 401 leads to every other highway in the country. You just, you got to take it. And it always seems like when you get on the 401, wherever you're going, you have to get on, get over, get over, get off. Never fails. And it's always during the pinnacle of rush hour. So I'm kind of hoping, because I picked the truck up in Newmarket at 9.30, I'm kind of hoping by the time I hit the 401, it's going to be midday, rush hour isn't going to be a thing, and I can just zip down it and then hit my sisters, get the stuff from there, and then it's a matter of hitting the 401 till I get to the 400 and then straight up the 400 to Midland. It's going to my sisters that's going to be the hardest leg of the journey. Because I only have to do the 401 and then the 400 going to Midland. So, but yeah, Monday is going to be a journey all the way around because Monday, Monday's it. That is the, this whole journey. Um, I'm doing a lot of, of soul searching about this lately. And Monday is the, the um, closing of that door kind of thing because up until that point all of my personal possessions things that um have carried sentimental meaning for me for years things that belong to solely me have been in that house I knew from the minute that I left that I wasn't going back but I'm not exactly sure my ex knew that and he's starting to come to that realization we've had a few conversations regarding that he knows it's not happening but Monday is that final I am moving my stuff out what is left there is a stuff that I don't have room for that he's going to keep like my dad's stereo I don't have room in my apartment for my dad's stereo as much as I would love to take it with me I don't have room for it I don't know where I would put it so I can't take it. And I know that he appreciates the stereo as much as I do and that he would actually get more use out of it. He knows how to fix the needle and, you know, he's got the massive um, vinyl collection. I don't. So leaving that with him, I know it's in safe hands. I know it's in good hands. And I know dad would want him to have it, but there are things in that house that are coming with me. And I know that that is going to be that final shutting of that door on Monday. That's, that's it. I'm done. I'm out. My stuff is out. This is your house now. Do with it what you will. My stuff's not here. And it's kind of funny because my daughter's not even going to be there. The one that has kicked up the most fuss about this entire ordeal, other than my son, who still refuses to speak to me, but, you know, that's his loss. My daughter's not even going to be there. She has come to accept that this is happening so well that she's not even going to be there. 
she had made previous plans to go to my other daughter-in-law's to see, because we're now out of lockdown, she is going to go see her niece, my granddaughter. She, I think she's going to go spend a week. She just broke up with her boyfriend again. So instead of jumping into another relationship, she actually took mama's advice and is going to have a relationship with herself and get to know herself. Um, she's going to go and stay with Tabby for a while, who is like a sister to her. The two of them are like sisters. And she's going to get to see Lizzie. So she didn't even rearrange her plans to see me. <laughs> but her and I talk on a on a fairly frequent basis now. Like I called her up the other day, just Facebook called her video messaged her and she answers and she's looking at me on the phone going yes what can I what do you want and I looked at her on the phone and went I just called to say I love you and hung up (laughs) and she calls me back she's like are you all right mom are you feeling okay I'm like I'm good do I need a reason to call you that's why I called you I called to say I love you and I hung up the phone and she's she well okay but you could have talked to me and I said that's not why I called I didn't call to talk to you I just called to say I love you that's all I needed to do that's why I hung up the phone (laughs) so we chit-chatted for a few minutes and it was good she was laughing I was laughing we were carrying on and then she started explaining drama that was going on and all of a sudden I had to go (laughs) nope sorry kid gotta go uh crystal's calling or I don't know I'm burning water gotta go not my drama don't care don't want to hear it not my house not my drama no longer my circus. And it's taken me a long time to realize that. It is no longer my circus. And technically, it never was my circus. I just happened to live under the same circus tent. But it was not my circus. It was not my drama. It was not my problem. It wasn't my situation where I had to fix it. I just lived there. So, yeah, I'm there now. Now, I had a whole thing planned, kind of went off the rails a little bit at the beginning of this podcast. I do actually have a topic to discuss. First, though, I have to um, appease the network gods because, you know, they've decided that I need to have housekeeping now. What the hell? Uh, I can't even get it. Go, go in the trap. Go, go, go. Do it, do it, do it. It's spring. So I'm having, I'm having an issue with ants in the trailer right now. Ants are everywhere. I didn't see any of the apartment, thank goodness. I They seem to like to crawl around on the ceiling, so I stuck the ant trap in the trim on the ceiling, so I'm watching this little ant. He's kind of circling around. It's like, go in the hole, dude. Go in the hole. Eat the bait. Go in the hole. But he's not going in the hole. So now I have to keep an eye on him because now I need to know where he goes so that I can find him later and kill him. Yes, I know. I'm not a very good peace, love, and hippie. Like, oh, go in, go in, come on, do it, do it, do it. He's not going to do it. It's because I'm watching him. He's not going to do it. Anyway, I do, I do have a, a theme for today, but I got sidetracked with the ant, so I have to appease the the network gods. And seeing as you know, the network gods are my live studio audience, I have to, you know, <laughs> gotta keep them happy. Because then they they let me have my podcast and I get to talk to all you wonderful people. So I just want to mention very quickly the open contract challenge that Jay Zomont puts on every year. This is our third year of doing it. And I'm totally stoked this year. I mean, I was excited about it last year. I was apprehensive and excited about it the first year. 
and I am beyond excited. There's no apprehension this year. There's no, is it going to be a good contest? Are people going to enter? No, there's none of that this year because submissions are coming in hot and heavy. If you have a story, if you have like a novelette, a novella, a novel, a poetry book, an art book, whatever, a I don't know, a D&D type gaming manual. I don't know, whatever. Give us your pitch. Go to www.opencontractchallenge.com and fill out the pitch and send your pitch in. We're accepting pitches, bitches. Sorry. <laughs> I had to because it rhymed and it sounded cool. I've lost the ant. He's gone. Um, get your pitches in before midnight on April 30th, and that is midnight California time which I do believe is Pacific Standard Time. Woohoo! Yes, look at me go! <laughs> um, by April... Oh, he came out of the hotel! Yes! Go, little ant, go! He has got grub, poison grub. Sorry. It's just like this whole Peyton Place thing with the ants, let me tell you. Anyway, so yeah, get your pitches in, because you, what do you, you have absolutely nothing to lose. And... Everything that you could possibly dream of as a writer to gain. What does a writer want? A writer wants to get their works out there and be published and have people read them. Well, guess what? If you happen to win the contest, you're going to get a contract and you're going to get published and your work is going to get out there and people are going to read it and you're going to be an author. How cool is that? And what is it going to cost you? Absolutely nothing but time. That's all it's going to cost you. The time it takes you to put your pitch in. The time it takes you to make sure you have the best possible product you could have to put out there. That's all it's going to cost you. Not one red cent will you have to pay to enter this contest. So, get your butts over to www.opencontractchallenge.com and send in your pitch. Who knows? You want your pitches? Your pitch might make it in. It might not. And then you modify that pitch and try again next year. And trust me, I know contestants that have entered every single year. And they figure out what didn't work the first year. and Because it, it all depends on, like, the first year they didn't even make the... I think they made the pitch and that was it. And then, like, the second year they made it to, like, round two. Hang on, we're going to be interrupted by Alexa. I can't believe it's five o'clock already. So apparently I'm supposed to eat food at this point in time. But I'm not going to. I'm in the middle of podcasting. I will eat food when I'm done because it's a fairly easy meal tonight. I am totally feeling the carbs. We're going to have hamburger gravy for dinner. There's another. Is That's not an ant. That's a spider. We are going to keep an eye on that one because that is a no-no. There was actually, I was sitting here watching TV the other night and I just had one little light on. So it was, you know, mood lighting. If I had had company, it would have been mood lighting, but it was just dim because I was by myself. And I could feel this soft tickling going across the, the top of my hand while I was watching TV. And I kind of shook it off thinking it was like a hair on my sweater or something because I have really long hair and believe me, it gets everywhere. And it stopped for a minute and then it started again and it was moving in an opposite direction. And I looked down and there's a spider crawling across my hand I actually have a bruise on my hand now because and it's still it's like it's a little swollen too where I was I was beating I'm pretty sure I broke a blood vessel um <laughs> I beat the 
the tar out of my hand killing that spider. And do you think I could find his smooshed up little carcass when I was done just to ensure that he was dead? Nope. Not even maybe. So I'm not exactly sure if I killed him or just pissed him off. That is one thing I am not going to miss about the trailer is the bugs. Because it's a camper trailer. It's not, you know, sealed like a building or an apartment that's two stories up above the bugs. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to miss the bugs. Uh, it's been fairly decent, and I won't miss the mouse. I'm pretty sure the mouse will miss me, but I will not miss the mouse. And trust me, everything, every bag, every container, every box, every everything that I have packed, I have shaken the living daylights out of to make sure I'm not bringing the little furry fellow to my new house because he's not invited at all in any way, shape, or form. And it's funny, I'm not even over there yet. I haven't even spent a night over there yet and drama is already ensuing. Now, drama and conflict used to be a really big trigger for me and I would avoid it at all costs. I would go out of my way to make whoever was angry um, happy. I would do whatever I had to when they were yelling and screaming at me, even if they weren't mad at me. Um, I have been known to self-mutilate during this because before my mom met my dad, she had a litany of bad relationships. And I pretty much told her when she married my dad, third strike, I'm out. I will go live with grandma and grandpa. I'm out. I'm not doing this again. <laughs> I was five, five or five, I think, five or six, might have been six, when my mom and dad married and she was, this was her third husband. So the first two, I don't remember my biological dad. I met him later on. He was a real winner. But I do remember her, her second husband, bits and pieces of him. And he is a big part of my anxiety. And he is a big part of my triggers. Now, you've listened to my podcast, so you know a good portion of my trauma. You know a good portion of what makes me the absolutely a lovable person that I am. With all of my quirks and baggage and, you know probably should be medicated, but whatever. Anyway, <laughs> you know all the, the physical trauma that I have gone through. I haven't really discussed much of the emotional trauma that um, I experienced growing up. Like I said, it didn't really, there wasn't a whole lot of it after my mom married my dad, but up to that point, life was a nightmare really. And it's not that it was at me. It was like my mom's second husband was a very, very abusive man. Um, he was an alcoholic and, um, he was a control freak. And when he would drink, he would beat the living crap out of my mom on a regular. And I used to have this reoccurring nightmare that, um, I would kind of, it was kind of like a half waking, half sleeping nightmare. I would sort of come to and I would be trapped in sleep paralysis and I would feel something tickling down the side of my body 
like a feather or something and I couldn't move. My arms would be up over my head. I'd be lying on my back and my arms would be up over my head. I would hear this voice in, in my ear telling me, I'm going to kill you, bitch. I had had this reoccurring nightmare for as long as I can remember, right from childhood on. And pardon the barking dog. I never knew where it came from. And most reoccurring nightmares stem from some sort of trauma that, especially some sort of trauma as a child, that your brain can't comprehend, can't make sense of. And you keep reliving the incident, but in a way that your brain can understand. So it wasn't until I was... And like I said, I can remember having this back as far as I can remember. And I can remember back to when my mom was dating my dad and we were living with my Aunt Fran and my Uncle Wayne. So I was four or five then and I remember having this nightmare. So it wasn't until I was in my 20s. And now certain things up to this point um, raised voices. Arguing would would trigger a state of panic in me. Aggression of any kind would trigger a state of panic in me. Drunken men. And to this day, drunken men that are, are, are aggressive still trigger a state of panic in me. I have a very close friend who used to be a very aggressive drunk. When he was drinking, he was very aggressive. And I was very afraid of him and very intimidated by him for a very long time. So I would become aggressive towards him. Anyway, so it wasn't until I was probably, I think I was around 25, 26. And um, I was at my mom's, I was doing laundry or something. We were there for Sunday dinner or something. And I was talking, mom and I were sitting in the garage having a smoke and I was talking to her about it. And I was telling her, we were talking about reoccurring dreams and all of this stuff. And she told me one that she used to have. And I had two, I have two. Well, I had two. I only have one now um, because having this conversation with my mom resolved this nightmare. What had happened, I told her about the nightmare, what went on in the dream, what I heard, what I felt, what I experienced, and it felt like there was this heavy weight on me where I couldn't move. So what had happened when mom was married to her second husband, it was a, a overly aggressive night. He was trying to kill her, basically. He had already choked her out a couple of times. And when she came to, she ran into my room and pushed the dresser up against my bedroom door, closed the door, pushed the dresser up against it. And he came through the door, took the door off the hinges, shoved the dresser, and she fell back on top of me. Now, my mom had really long hair back then. She was like 98 pounds soaking wet, had really, really long hair. So when she fell back on me, I was lying on my back, arms above my head, like little kids will do. When she fell back on me, her hair trailed down the side of my body, and that was the tickling sensation. He immediately pounced on her on top of me and started choking her again and said, I'm going to kill you, bitch. That's what I heard. That's when I woke up during the incident. That's when I woke up and looked up at him. And that kind of snapped him out of it. He got off me. Mom got off me. You know, she calmed me down or whatever. I don't know what happened after that. I don't remember. 
But when I told mum about the dream, mum told me about the incident and it clicked. That's what it was. After discussing that and explaining to her, I've had these triggers for years. This is what happens. This is the dream that I have. Her telling me what caused that dream and talking about it. I don't have that. I have not had that particular nightmare since then because I know what caused it. I know where it came from. I know what what created that. And I no longer have that nightmare anymore. Now, I can handle aggressive men drinking. It doesn't put me in that state of panic anymore because, again, I know what causes the trigger. And if you haven't figured out, that's what this this episode is about. It's about triggers. I know what causes that trigger. I don't, I still don't like aggressive men. I still don't like, well, I'm, okay, let me rephrase that. I don't like drunk, aggressive men. They still make me very nervous. They still make me very fearful. Aggression makes me kind of panicky inside and makes me fearful. But I deal with it. I deal with it. I don't expect the world to change. And I don't expect the people around me to change to accommodate my triggers. Because they're my triggers. It's my life that have caused these triggers. It's situations in my life that have caused these triggers. So I don't expect people who don't even know me, don't know my past, to change because something they're doing has triggered me. No. I need to figure out what it is that's triggering me, why it's triggering me, and then learn to deal with the trigger or heal the trigger. You deal or you heal. That's it. You don't expect the world around you to tiptoe around on eggshells. You don't expect everything to be bubble wrapped. You don't expect everything to be filtered softly so that your life is lovely. Because I'm telling you, life isn't lovely. There's going to be a multitude of things out there that are going to trigger you. Frogs. I have a friend. She's more uh, Crystal's friend, but I know her. Doesn't like frogs. Has a thing with frogs. Frogs trigger her. Trigger a state of panic. Somebody else. Creepy dolls. Creepy dolls scare the heck out of her. Certain songs will trigger people. So you cannot completely bubble wrap and, and, and censor and filter the entire world to accommodate everybody different triggers because if you're from the 80s I will guarantee you if you grew up in the 80s I will guarantee you you are as messed up as everybody else that generation screwed up all of us that that I don't know what it was but there isn't a Gen Xer that I haven't talked to that doesn't have some sort of trauma from the 80s some sort of trauma from the 80s there are triggers everywhere everywhere. So you can't expect people to govern their lives around your triggers because now you're going to have to govern your life around their triggers. That ain't going to happen. I'm sorry, that ain't going to happen. Because if we did that, there'd be nothing on TV. There'd be nothing on the news. We wouldn't be able to wear any colors because somebody may have been molested by a man in a red shirt and red triggers them. So now now you can't wear red. I mean, I get respecting people's triggers. That's fine. If you tell me, I'm sorry, I can't come to your party if you're going to be blaring Black Sabbath because it triggers me for a painful emotional memory. Okay, fine. Out of respect for you, I 
can probably avoid blaring Black Sabbath. But I'm not going to change everything to accommodate somebody's triggers. Because that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to heal. You're supposed to grow. You're supposed to develop and and work through your trauma. See, we called it trauma. We called it what it was. We didn't call them triggers. They were trauma. You have a problem. You deal with it. You learn how to work through it. You learn how to handle it. And you go on with your day. You don't say, I'm sorry. That triggers me. Could you not do that ever again? It is not my responsibility to worry about your triggers. Mm -mm. No, it is not your responsibility to worry about my triggers. That's my responsibility. And if I can't handle something, if I've gone through all of my steps, if I have used all of the tools at my disposal to handle what happens to me when I'm triggered in certain events then it is my responsibility to excuse myself from the situation and remove myself from the situation. There was an incident the other day. Something happened and the person got, you know, upset and it was kind of aggressively upset and immediately I had that stab of fear. I wanted to distance myself from that person as fast and as far as I possibly could because that's that's the, the, the instinctual gut reaction when I'm triggered that way. But instead, I put my big girl panties on and I did the adult thing. I said, hey, I totally get where you're coming from. I probably would have been cursing and swearing and very upset too. I understand the situation that caused you to feel that way. I'm just letting you know, this is what happened to me. So if I'm a little off, if I'm a little quiet, this is why. Immediately, unfortunately, they felt bad. And that's not what my intent was. But they understood. And I, I was like, you know, I'm not freaked out. Like, don't think you have to change. I'm just making you aware. It's going to take me a minute. I got to breathe through this. Carry on. I totally get why you felt this way. But just letting you know for future, if we happen to be in the same place at the same time and something happens that puts you in that frame of mind again, I may step away for a minute but don't think for a second my eyes aren't going to be on them the entire time. And if need be, I will step in and I will have their back. And I will throw punches if I need to. But until then, I need to kind of put my brain back where it belongs. Because for a lot of us, when we're triggered, like what happens is what what it means to be triggered is you have had a traumatic and I'm putting this definition out there because it's also been recently thrown at me that somebody else's trauma has triggered them. Hold on. Wait, what? <laughs> How can somebody else's trauma trigger you? This didn't happen to you. You didn't experience this. You don't know what it was like. How can it trigger you? So let me, let me just lay down my definition of what triggering means. You've gone through a traumatic situation, whether it be a car accident, whether it be a, a traumatic death, whether it be you were molested, whatever. And certain smells, sounds, situations, colors, whatever will trigger 
a response. Now, why it triggers you is because it immediately takes your brain back to the trauma. You're right back in that situation, in that particular trauma. And all of the feelings that you experience during that trauma are what come up. And that's what's triggered. So then you have to learn to deal with those feelings all over again and work through them. And knowing that you're not actually experiencing the trauma, you're remembering the trauma helps with being triggered. Okay, so that smell, Old Spice deodorant, that smell triggered me back to that situation. Okay, so it's not the Old Spice that I have a problem with. It's the memory caused by the Old Spice. Okay, so now we're going to deal with the memory because it's the memory that is causing me to panic. It is the memory that's causing me to want to flee. It's the memory that's causing the upset. Okay, so we've dealt with the memory. We've worked through the memory. The memory is no longer a problem. Ah, all of a sudden the memory is no longer a trigger. Therefore, you're no longer triggered. And you can smell Old Spice and go, oh, that's old man deodorant. See what I'm saying? You need to learn to work with your triggers. You need to learn. And I hate that word. I really do. There's another word that I really can't stand too. That's one of the triggers. They're not triggers. It's not like a gun. You know, you don't pull it and everything explodes. No, that's not how it works. It just it bugs me because everything now is a trigger. Oh, that triggers me. I can't. Oh, that triggers me. I can't. Good God. Anyway. I'm really turning into a crotchety Gen Xer. That's I, I'm I'm really beginning to notice this. I turned 49 and all of a sudden I'm like, I don't care. I don't give a flying fart. <laughs> you know? But I think the term trigger is actually used as an excuse for a lot of people to get out of doing certain things or to excuse their bad behavior. What? I'm sorry. You're being a dick. You can't use the I'm being triggered as an excuse to excuse the fact that you're being a dick. I'm sorry. That's just not how it works. You're being a jerk. You need to modify your behavior. I don't care about your past trauma. That doesn't give you the right to treat anybody else like garbage in any way, shape, or form. Your past trauma is your problem. It's your baggage. It's your crutch. It's your thing to work through. That doesn't mean you get to be a jerk and take it out on everybody else. They didn't do it. They didn't cause it. Not their fault or their problem. So I think a lot of people are using the term triggered and the I'm triggered, this has triggered me to excuse and and give them an out for poor behavior and for negligence in relationships. I'm sorry, what you said triggered me. I couldn't talk to you for five months. What? No. What you should have done is picked up the phone and said, I'm sorry, what you did hurt my feelings. What you did upset me. This is why it upset me. Can we talk? That's how it works. 
At least that's how it's supposed to work when you're an adult. But it doesn't work that way. People are are trying to bubble wrap and and sugarcoat and placate everybody. And it's it's not helping anybody. Well, not getting a trophy and not, you know, being awarded something and not coming in first has triggered my feelings of failure. Oh, I'm sorry. Try harder. Try harder. Not everybody can win. It's not how it works. Well, I'm sorry. The movie's too violent and it triggers my my child abuse. Don't watch it. Go talk to somebody about your child abuse. Learn to deal with it. Come to terms with it. Move past it. Instead, you want us watching fluffy bunny, love, light, and happiness kind of movies and listening to generic, non-triggering, non-binary, whatever music and reading approved, boring, colorless books and what? You can't say this and you can't say that and you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't wear this and you can't wear... I'm sorry, all of these restrictions are triggering my right to be a free-thinking human being. I have trauma. I have lots of trauma. (laughs) Um, I could keep a psychiatrist in work for a very long time, but I deal with my trauma. I deal with my triggers, air quotes, and I work through them. I don't expect anybody around me to change who or what they are to accommodate me. If I don't like your behavior, I won't participate in that behavior. If I don't like what you're doing, if I'm not into an activity that you're participating in, I will not be part of that activity. I will not participate. I will excuse myself and go about my merry way. I may have to go and be by myself for a little while and... I have certain things that I do when I am put back into the state of trauma, but that's my job. It is my responsibility to take care of my issues. Nobody else's. Unless I'm paying you by the hour, it is nobody else's responsibility to look after my issues but me. Why does everybody think and expect everybody else to cater to their triggers? I don't understand it. Does not make sense to me at all. The whole point of therapy is to learn what your triggers are, work through them, and then take the power away from them so they're no longer triggers. I'm actually work doing... Um, I signed up for this weight loss thing and it actually deals with the psychology sociology and um a bunch of other ologies other than just eat this many calories a day work out do these exercises for this amount of time a day they mentally change the way you think i'm really enjoying it because it's really delving into a lot of the deeper, darker aspects of why I overeat or why I, 
you know, am drawn to certain foods and, and why I lack motivation and all of that. It's dealing and digging into all of that. And it's giving me tips and tricks and things to do to combat all of that. And that's kind of along the lines of what you do when you're dealing with your triggers is something, it triggers an anxiety attack. Okay, well, the very first thing you should be doing is doing the the, the thing of five. You know, five things. Five things you see, five things you smell, five things you hear, five things you can touch, whatever. And by doing those, it helps you calm down. There are numerous things that you can do to stop an anxiety attack. Well, an anxiety attack is the product of a trigger. So therefore, you're dealing with the trigger. So you can't just go through this anxiety attack and expect everybody to cater to you because you're having an anxiety attack. You can't, you know, what if you're on a a bus or an airplane? You can't expect them to land the plane and all of a sudden the world stop because you're having an anxiety attack because something triggered that attack. No, you have to learn how to handle the attack. Work through it. Breathe through it. Calm down. Find out what's causing the anxiety and deal with it. And then you don't have a trigger anymore. But instead, people are using their triggers as crutches. They're using their triggers as this this blanket they can pull around them. And, and you know, oh, baby me. Oh, pity me. Oh, feel sorry for me. Oh, do for me. Do for me. Do for me. I'm triggered. I'm triggered. Oh, no. You know, I'm special. No, you're not. No, you're not. I'm sorry. You're not special. Everybody has some sort of trauma. Everybody has some sort of trigger. Most of us work through them. Most of us deal with them and go about our day. Sometimes they can get the better of us and you got to just have a day where you crawl into bed, you pull the blankets up over your head and you go, tell the world they're number one, hide, wallow for a day. But eventually you need to pull yourself together rejoin the land of the living not walking around constantly I'm triggered I'm triggered I'm triggered really I some people I watch them and it's almost like you're talking to them and you can guarantee every third or fourth sentence out of their mouth oh that triggered me oh I feel like I'm being triggered I'm sorry that's triggering me I can't I I couldn't imagine living in a constant state of being triggered that's upsetting me. That's upsetting me. That's upsetting me. Uh, what, are you going to just sit in a room by yourself? Not talk to anybody, not watch anything, not look at anything, don't read anything, don't think anything. Because basically, that's what they're saying. Everything around them is triggering them. So you can't eliminate the entire world. You're going to be triggered eventually. It's going to happen. And you're going to turn to that person and you're going to go, I'm triggered. And they're going to look at you go, yeah, and kind of like being offended. So you're offended. (laughs) Deal with it. It is nobody, and I'm going to say it again, it is nobody else's responsibility to take care of your triggers. Nobody else is responsible for your triggers but you. And if you choose to live your life by avoiding the things that trigger you, that if you choose to live your life by not dealing with the things that trigger you, that's on you. That's not on anybody else. 
It is not anybody else's responsibility to accept that you want to live that way. That you've chosen to not deal with the triggers, but to avoid what triggers you. That's fine. Avoid it. It's nobody else's responsibility to care. Plain and simple. It's not even your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife or your kids or whatever. It is nobody else's responsibility to care but you. And like I said, unless you're paying them by the hour, and I don't mean a prostitute, I mean a professional doctor, unless you're paying them by the hour, then nobody else needs to care. Nobody else needs to cater to your triggers. And even a psychiatrist will not cater to your triggers. No, no. They will make you work through them. They will they will intentionally trigger you so that you can work through the emotions caused by the trigger. How do I know this? Been there, done that. No, I don't have the t-shirt anymore. I had to think about that. But it is not my responsibility to govern my life around what triggers you. It's not. It is my responsibility to govern my life around the things that trigger me and not put myself in situations that I don't think I'm going to be able to handle. And like I said, with the situation that happened the other day, 99% of the time, I'm fine. Fighting aggression doesn't bother me. I've worked through it. I know where it comes from. I know where that anxiety stems from generally only ever happens when it's fighting aggression and alcohol mixed. And I've dealt with it. I can handle it. I can usually diffuse the situation. I'm right there. I'm in it. I'm fine. Every now and again, especially if I'm having a bad day, if I'm having a high emotional day or whatever, it bugs me. And I just kind of pull myself back a little bit or I say, hey, like I did the other day. That kind of triggers me a little bit. Don't change. I'm just letting you know that I'm kind of pulling back a little bit till I'm in a good headspace and then I'm right back there with you. I will curse them out with you. I will plan their death in a multitude of colorful ways. I got your back. Just give me a second. I don't expect the person to change what they're doing or how they're feeling, their feelings are valid. Carry on, my wayward son. (laughs) It's it's a habit. I just, that's, I can't, I can't not say that after I say carry on. I have to say it. And ranted away again for another hour. But I really, I've, I've been reading a lot lately on triggers. I've been seeing a lot of things on Facebook. Cancel culture is kind of, I mean, it's still there, but it's kind of, fading into the background now because now they're trying to use the it's triggering me it's triggering me this is why we need to cancel it as the excuse to validate cancel culture and it kind of triggered the crotchety gen xer in me (laughs) so i was triggered um so i had to talk to you and vent to you and share my opinions on using being triggered as an excuse for bad behavior and as an excuse to suck all the fun out of the world, suck all the life out of everything. Nobody is responsible for making you feel safe. Nobody. Nobody. Let me say that to you again. 
Nobody is responsible for making you feel safe. Not your mother, not your father, not any family member, not your husband, not your wife, not your boyfriend, not your children. Nobody is responsible for making you feel safe. If you feel safe with them, great. But it is not their responsibility to make sure that you feel safe. It is your responsibility to make sure you are in a safe place. All right, I think I'm going to stop here <laughs> because I could just keep going and going and going and going and I don't want to beat a dead horse, which, you know what? I'm sorry, the things that you're, you're triggered by, they're dead horses. It's over, it's done with, it's happened. Deal with it, handle it, let it go and move on. And if everybody did that, there'd be a lot less triggers in the world. There really, really would be. I mean, if I... If, if I reacted to every time I was triggered, to everything that triggered me, if I eliminated watching shows that contained things that would trigger me or listening to music that contained things that triggered me or having conversations that may or may not contain things that triggered me or reading things that may or may not trigger me, I would not do anything. I would basically sit here and stare at the wall. And it couldn't be a certain color wall. It couldn't be a certain type of wall because that might trigger me. Instead, I chose to live my life. I chose to deal with the things that traumatized me and that were causing problems for me in my life. I'm an adult. If something, If I'm having an issue with something, I open my mouth and say, hey, I'm having a problem with that. You go on and have your fun. I'm going to be over here for a minute. Or I'm not comfortable with participating, so I'm not going to participate. Don't change. Go have fun. And I've done that on many occasions. There's been many times that situations have come up. I've been invited to partake of things and I have gone, mm, I'm not really comfortable with that, so I'm going to respectfully decline. Y'all have a good time. I will sit over here and I will laugh my butt off because y'all look like idiots. And I do. And everybody has a good time. Life is good. Nobody has changed their behavior because it may have triggered me. Nobody was expected to change their behavior. Stop using triggers as an excuse for bad behavior. It drives me crazy. Well, I spoke to you like that because I was triggered and I was in a bad mood. I don't care. Nowhere is it written that says you're allowed to talk to me like that. No. Stop using triggers as an excuse for bad behavior. Stop making other people responsible for your triggers. Get over it. Deal with it. Because that's the whole thing. The whole part of it is, is dealing with our trauma and healing from it. If you go around, I'm triggered, I'm triggered, I'm triggered, you're not healing from your trauma. You're letting it continually scar you and hurt you and damage you. Take your power back. If you take your power back from it and you deal with it, it can no longer trigger you. It can no longer hurt you. So, all right. Seriously, I am done this time, I swear. <laughs> I'm done lecturing you about triggers. I kind of what it turned into. I think we're just going to call this one trigger warning. 
because, you know, live studio audience does approve. <laughs> okay, so if you want to find me and you want to trigger me in some way, shape, or form, feel free. You can find me on Facebook at Stephanie J. Barty or Lupa Barty. You can find me at uh, Lupa's Bits, the podcast on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, I'm everywhere. You can find me on TikTok at Lady Lou Who. If you disagree with what I've said, I want to hear your opinions. Shoot me an email, Lupa Barty, L-U-P-A-B-A-R-D-Y at gmail.com. So let's have a discussion about this. I'm opening the floor for discussion. Send me your emails. If you want to be anonymous, fine. Create an anonymous email. You can do that. You just create account and put anonymous at gmail.com. Although I'm pretty sure there are a ton of anonymous. So you might be anonymous 977-6347872. I don't know. Anyway, shoot me an email. If you don't want your name said on the show, if you don't want your email read on the show and you want to just keep it private, say so. Because everything is content. Just so you know. The people that that are in my life on a regular, um, like the people that I'm close to, that I have intimate relationships with, they, they know. They all know. Anything that happens is content. Now, whether it's content for a podcast or content for a TikTok, that remains to be seen. But everything is content because my life is very public. I am a very public figure. So, yeah. <laughs> if you don't want to be content, then you need to put in your email, not content. Or just between you and me. That's a really good song, by the way. Okay, I'm starting to squirrel. So, come find me. Let's chat. Let's open this up for discussion. Let's have a conversation about triggers. About trauma. About, let's let's talk about stuff. Alright? You can find me in a multitude of places. I've told you where you can find me. I don't want to hear the excuse, I couldn't find you. Because people find me. Trust me, people find me. And we'll talk. Maybe next week I will discuss some of the issues that were brought to me in my email. Let's have a conversation. Okay, I am out of here for another week. And wish me luck on Monday because that's going to be fun. Um, you, you're going to hear all about that next week, I guarantee you. Because Monday I'll be... Oh. Okay, so there might not be a podcast next week. Because Monday the 5th, I get the truck and I go and pick up all the stuff. Tuesday the 6th is unloading day. Where I load everything into... I'm getting glared at by my live studio audience. I will try and podcast Sunday for next week. But I'm not making any promises. I may podcast... Wednesday, I have to return the truck, which is first thing in the morning. So I might be able to podcast Wednesday night. If I don't get it done by Thursday, before Thursday, it ain't going to happen because I got to get it to Joe and he's got to do the editing and the publishing and I will do my best, but I am not promising that there's going to be a podcast next week. All right. But I will do my best. Okay, everybody, I will chat with you all, hopefully next week, if not the week after. Have a good week, stay safe, and see ya. 
Don't you cry? Don't you cry. 